I'm going to read the Bible for us. Now, we've actually got three readings this morning. So we're going to start in Proverbs, move on to Luke, and then into Romans. Starting in Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs 10, verse 15. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city, but poverty is the ruin of the poor. The wages of the righteous is life, but the earnings of the wicked are sin and death. Whoever heeds discipline shows the way to life, but whoever ignores correction leads others astray. Whoever conceals hatred with lying lips and spreads slander is a fool. Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver, but the heart of the wicked is of little value. The lips of the righteous nourish many, but fools die for lack of sense. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth, without painful toil for it. A fool finds pleasure in wicked schemes, but a person of understanding delights in wisdom. What the wicked dread will overtake them. What the righteous desire will be granted. When the storm has swept by, the wicked are gone, but the righteous stand firm forever. And then on to Luke. Chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, and we'll start at verse 15. Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And then Jesus told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. And into Romans chapter 3, always worth waiting for. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God 
and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Thanks, Haley. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, if I haven't met you, my name is Matt. Uh, I'm one of the pastors at the church here. Um, you've always got to um, wonder when the senior pastor goes away for a couple of weeks' holiday and he says, Can you preach while I'm away? And you go, Yeah, sure. And he says, I want you to preach on money. Um, so that's where I'm going today. We're going to look at the book of Proverbs and we're going to look at money. Uh, but I'll talk some more about that in a little while. I want to start off with something that might seem a bit left field. And I want to ask you, have, have you ever heard of an egg corn? Has anyone ever heard of an egg corn? You've seen an egg corn, have you? You might have seen an acorn. Anyone ever heard? You probably may not have heard of this because I hadn't heard of it used the term egg corn, but I'd heard of the concept. What it is, is when you hear an everyday saying and you mishear it and you use words that still make sense, but it sort of gives it a different meaning. Well, sometimes it can give it the same meaning. I'll, I'll give you an example. Let's start with an example. People often used to say, it's a dog-eat-dog world, isn't it? You know, get out there, go hard. You've got to go hard, otherwise someone will love it. It's a dog-eat-dog world. Well, there's another saying now called, it's a doggy-dog world. Someone misheard a dog-eat-dog world, and they went, oh, it's a doggy-dog world. They'd been down to Shelley Beach and been jumped over by 50 dogs, and everyone says, oh, he's really friendly. You go, I don't care. Um, <laughs> So the, the, the original saying was, it's a dog-eat-dog world, yeah? Is that, yep? Okay, I thought I'd warm us up this morning and put a couple of eggcorns out there and let's see if either A, they are a saying, and B, if they are, which one came first? What about these ones? Do you say, I've got another think coming or I've got another thing coming? Who goes with got another think? No one. Who go, oh, one. Oh, good on you, Laurie. Hey, who goes with got another thing coming? Who's still waking up? <laughs> a whole lot of people at the back there. There you go. Well, do you know what? It's got another thing coming. That was the original saying. What it was was you've got stuff coming up. You need to make a decision before you take your next step. And someone's misheard it and gone, you've got another thing coming. And now it means something quite different, doesn't it? Because, mate, you've got another thing coming. My mum used to say it to me quite a bit. <laughs> what, and I hear Christina say it to the kids now, what about this next one? Is it nipped in the butt? Or is it nipped in the bud? Who goes with the butt? Yeah, a few people. Who goes with bud? And more people are waking up. I see more hands. It is nipped in the bud, yeah? Uh, it's a, I think it came from a gardening saying where you nip off the buds. I'm looking at David Simmons because he's my resident gardener. Um, 
and that stops it from growing. So you nip something in the bud to stop it from getting worse. I reckon a lot of young people, if I do this at church at five, I reckon a lot of them will say nipped in the butt because that's what it is now. And I think it's got the same type of meaning. What about this one? Do you say on tender hooks or on tenter hooks? Who goes with tender? Love me tender. Yeah, a lot of tenders. Who goes tenter? Oh, mate, we've got a split room here. Wow. It's actually on tenter hooks. And it came apparently, I think it was tent makers. There's these hook type things where they used to colour the fabric and hang it up. And you had to be careful because it would rip. Someone misheard it and said, oh, we're on tender hooks. And now we get this sense of, well, it's a tender topic. We need to be careful. It's sensitive, yeah? So it's sort of the same. What about this is one I did for a long time, yeah? For all intensive purposes or for all intense and purposes. Who goes with intensive? Okay, I'm with you. <laughs> Who goes intense and purposes? Who's never actually heard that saying before? <laughs> yeah, good on you, Maddie. Um, it's actually for all intense and purposes. And I'd wandered around for eons going, oh, for all intensive purposes. And then I read in a book once and went, oh, how embarrassing. No one corrected me. I think it's got pretty much the same meaning. I want to go to one last egg corn. Is it money is the root of all evil or is it the love of money is the root of all evil? Hopefully, many of us out there go, well, actually, it's the love of money that is the root of all evil because that comes from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. And that should set us at the beginning to say that money is not evil. Much like sex is not evil. Much like alcohol is not evil. It is our human heart's disposition towards these things that push God out of the way and bring them so close. That is what is evil. Now, at the outset... I want to say we're coming to speak about money and I want to be clear that God's word does not say give all your money away and you will be holy. The early church did that. The aesthetics, you might have heard of the ascetics. They gave all their money away and they thought the poorer we are, the more holy we are. That's not true. If you give away all your money, you'll be homeless and at this time of year you'll be cold And then you'll be a drain on the rest of us. So don't do that. And equally, don't cheapen God's word by thinking simply about topics like money. Because money is a good gift that comes from God. And we should steward that gift. That's what God's word tells us. So today we are going to delve into the book of Proverbs and we're going to have a look at exactly what does God's word say about money. How about I pray as we do that together? Father, uh, I do pray this morning that you'll please open our hearts, that you will shine a light into those places where we need to be convicted, Father. And uh, I do thank you where you have brought your light to bear, your word to bear on our behaviour, especially around money as we align with your will. 
And I pray all of that in Jesus' name. Amen. So money, a great thing to be talking about on a Sunday morning here at church. It's probably something that many in our community would expect. I'll go to church and they'll try and take your money away. Go to church and they'll make you feel guilty until you give more money. I can say I've been coming here to the Lakes Church for 16 years. Look at my wife, she's the chronologist, I'm not. I think it's about 16 years. And very few times have I heard money preached about here. I originally was going to say we hardly ever preach about money, but that would be a lie. I would say we faithfully preach about money when God's word presents it. And today, as we go through the book of Proverbs, we are at the point where we need to discuss money. Um, I reckon if we ask people, do you need more money? Have you got enough money? Most people would say, look, I could do with a little bit more. Some people would say, I reckon I could probably do with a lot more and then I'd be comfortable. I don't know if that's true. We heard Dave preach last week about a whole lot of lottery winners. And it reminded me, I was a counsellor at Mount Druitt Community Health Centre and I largely saw people with mental health and drug problems, but I also used to see general clients who would just walk in with issues. And a couple came in one day and the story went that I think they'd run second division lotto and this was out in Mount Druitt. It was about 25 years ago and I think they won, it might have been 400,000, so which in today's standards is probably about 1.2 mil. So it's not anything to be sneezed at. And they came in and the story went that they, they believed that their marriage was relatively intact. That things were going okay until they won this money. And all of a sudden, they started arguing. Should they take their kids out of the local state school and put them in the private school? Should they give money to family and if so, which family members and how much? Should they sell their house where they were really comfortable and buy in a more affluent area? All of a sudden, this gift of money started to tear this couple apart. As they found out, having a lot of money is not the problem. It is the wisdom required to best manage that gift that God had given them. And I pray that's what God's word will help all of us do today. Solomon, the the, the fellow who wrote the book of Proverbs, when God said to him, you can have anything, what did he ask for? Wisdom. He asked for wisdom. Solomon said this. He said, why should fools have money in hand to buy wisdom when they are not able to understand it? What's he getting at there? I reckon what he's saying is money won't make you wise. Money won't make you wise. It can't buy you wisdom. And the irony of it is as if a a foolish person used their money to buy wisdom, they wouldn't recognise it anyway. So it's a waste of their money. But I do believe that wisdom and the book of Proverbs can help you make money. I feel like all of a sudden I'm, I'm preaching something we shouldn't, but it does. It talks about how to make money. It also helps us understand how to keep money and then it also helps us understand how we should use it in the most fitting way. So today I just want to touch on four different things. I want to talk about the blessings of money and what does Proverbs say about that. I want to talk about the dangers of money. 
and what Proverbs says about that. And then write priorities for money. And lastly, we will land in a place, hopefully, where I talk about better things than money. So let's start. What about the blessings of money? What does Solomon say about that? Well, Proverbs celebrates money as a good thing. Proverbs, I I calculated it, is about 1.5% of the entire Bible. 1.5% is a book of Proverbs. 13% of the mentions of money, riches, bribery, greed, all occur in the book of Proverbs. What that says to me is we need a lot of direction on money. So Solomon's first direction from chapter 10, the blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. And diligent hands bring wealth. Originally, you might think, hold it, they're saying different things. I don't think so. I actually think what it's saying, these two parallel verses are saying hard work is good and God will bless the work of your hands. We don't do it alone. God blesses that work of our hands he blesses our efforts but more importantly when you know it's from the Lord when you know you've earned it diligently you won't feel bad about it yes work will be painful but it won't be painful plus guilt because I've dishonestly earned it what this is talking about is honest living and honest work what about this one A faithful person will be richly blessed, but one eager to get rich will not go unpunished. One who is faithful will be blessed. In a good workplace, we see that, don't we? The faithful worker, the faithful worker who is not there trying to get rich, who's not there trying, they're actually there to go, you know what, I want to be faithful to my boss. You know what, I want to be faithful to my company. You know what, I want to be faithful to my trade and my calling. By being faithful in a good workplace, those people are blessed. But then Solomon points out the person who will be punished. That is the person who's trying to get a get-rich-quick scheme. Someone who's almost willing to do anything to make money. Solomon says they will be punished. These next couple of proverbs might be a bit difficult for us. The poor are shunned even by their neighbours, but the rich have many friends. Wealth attracts many friends, but even the closest closest friend of the poor person deserts them. Solomon here is saying money will ensure you have friendships. When everything is said and done, all things being equal, the person with money will have more friends than the poor person. Solomon's often in Proverbs just reflecting on what you see in this world. The poor person, they may not have as many friends and in fact they may even have their neighbours disliking them. Why? Are they always asking for a handout? Are they always crying poor mouth? Do people in the end get over having to give extra to them? Yes, that is the way of this world. What about the last proverb on the blessing of money? The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. The poverty is the ruin of the poor. This principle observes that in this world, 
wealth gives you a measure of protection. It gives you a, a provision in this world. Poverty can put you at great risk in this world. I was thinking even in this last few weeks, a good example of that is the uh, Australian young fella who went over to Bali, got intoxicated, acted inappropriately and hurt somebody and ended up in a prison in uh, Bali. You remember that? He's been released from prison. Why? Because he paid that family money so he could get out. He was rich. Now, if he was poor and he doesn't have that money, guess where he is now? He's not sitting at home in Australia. He's still sitting in a prison. That's a perfect example of this proverb being applied in this world. Now, I want to let you know, I, I love bushwalking. And I love bushwalking, especially when we end up somewhere where there's a view or something really spectacular at the end of it. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of this bushwalk. Uh, it's in China, and it's said to be one of the most beautiful hikes in the world with one of the most beautiful views. It's Mount Huashan, and that's how Susie told me to pronounce it. I'm sure our 1030 Chinese congregation will tell me if I got it right or not. But that is the view that you get when you get to the top of the South Peak. Absolutely spectacular. Apparently, the, the, the walk itself took 3,000 years for them to build. It is not only one of the most beautiful views in the world, but the other thing is it is one of the most dangerous hikes in the world. So to reach the summit, you not only go up all of these rickety ladders, but then you get to what they call the plank wall. And you lock yourself on and you walk across that like that to get to the summit. Who would, uh, who would go up there? Oh, we've got a couple of people going with me. I know my wife wouldn't, but uh, anyway. Why do I say that? I reckon money brings us great blessings and benefits in this world, but it also brings great perils. And that's why the book of Proverbs has so much about the dangers of money. And I do want to press into those now. The first danger of money that Solomon talks about is false security. Remember that one I just read before, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city, but poverty is ruin of the poor? Yeah, that's true. Wealth can protect you against earthly challenges. There's no two ways about that. But people draw too long a bow and they think, my wealth will protect me in all of the challenges of this world. Solomon says it in Proverbs 18, verses 10 and 11. If we go to those now, thank you. The name of the Lord, the name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it's a wall too high to scale. And if you are in any doubt as to who will win the battle between the fortified tower and the fortified city, have a look at verse 12. Before a downfall, the heart is haughty, the heart is proud. It's my money. It's my strength. It's my doing. It's my actions. It's my city. Proverbs says it does not stand a chance against the power of the almighty God. 
So money can give us false security. The next danger of money is debt. It seems the golden rule in this world is he who has the money is the boss. We have a saying, don't we? He who pays the piper calls the tune. The borrower is a slave to the lender. And Solomon said it here, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. In Australia, we have financial slavery. More and more Australian families are in debt. Our federal government even recognises it as a massive issue in our world. And I want to speak to you today as someone who cares for you and your family and says, if you find yourself in financial debt that's getting above your head, then reach out. There are free financial counselling services here on the coast and they're phenomenal. And our government makes them free because they realise the great stress it is for individuals, for families, but more broadly our community. So if you have issues like that, please come and see me today and I'm happy to refer you across to someone. The next danger of money is a temptation to sin. Let's look at that second proverb. A companion of prostitutes squanders his wealth. This proverb implies that if one has the means, then the likelihood to stray and sin is greater when one has money. Footballers and disposable income, the lives of the rich and shameless are all great examples of this. But who are we kidding when we point out there, just look here on the central coast, many families are torn apart in these ways. And again, if this is a challenge that you face, I encourage you to reach out. Because Solomon said, it's better the poor whose walk is blameless. It's better you not have money than you to sin that way and dishonour God. Money also tempts us to rip other people off, to lie and to cheat. Solomon said the Lord detests differing weights and dishonest scales do not please him. And again, we could talk about big industry and how they will rip people off and they'll ramp up prices and they'll drop you know, supply so the demand goes up so that they can charge people more. We can equally keep pointing out there all the time, can't we? But then when we look close to home, dishonesty is there. Recently bought a car and um, the person lied outright about what was wrong with the car 100%. They knew what was wrong with it. I didn't see it. I bought the car. You know what? When I talk to people, friends, every one of them said, ah, buyer beware, buyer beware. I reckon that's just another way of saying you can't trust people when it comes to money. That's a reality of our world. The last danger of money, and probably the biggest one, is idolatry. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Idolatry is where we displace God with something else. Idolatry is the essence of all sin. 
because it comes from the first commandment that our Heavenly Father gave us, where he said, you shall have no other gods before me. And then when Jesus was asked, what's the most important one? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. Idolatry is the opposite of that commandment. John Calvin, the great reformer, said the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. What he meant by that is our heart will just create idol after idol after idol. That's why that phrase at the beginning, money is the root of all evil, has become what people think because we realise that the human heart left unguarded will always, will always have money and other things like that as its idol. If that's the case, I reckon it's really good to think about how do we determine when something like money is becoming an idol in our lives. I reckon the way we work it out is as soon as our idolatry leads us, or sorry, as soon as our loyalty to something leads us to disobey God, if it leads me to disobey God, then the reality is I'm in danger of making it an idol. Let me give you some examples. Do I pretend my my 12-year-old is 10 so I don't have to pay an adult's ticket price at the movies? Do I do that? You know, I could probably make an argument and go, man, a 12-year-old's not an adult. That's not fair that they make and pay. If it disturbs you that much, don't go to the movies. But don't dishonour God and try and justify it. Or do I use my friend's Netflix password? Because we all know they overcharge us, eh? And we all know that everyone else is doing it, right? No, it's not right. That's dishonouring God. Or if I get undercharged at a restaurant, do I not say anything? Because I think, man, there's probably heaps of times I've been overcharged. And they're a big multinational. They can afford it. They should have been more careful, right? No, it's not right. It's dishonest. It's dishonouring God. An idol is something that we become increasingly attached to so that it becomes between me and God and then I start to distance myself from God. I distance myself from his word and then his word doesn't seem that applicable in my life and then I say, did God really say? Did God really say it's that bad? But Solomon reminds us, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. That is the place where money, where having money as your idol will lead you inevitably. But praise God, Proverbs doesn't leave us there with all of the dangers. It also informs us how we can master our money rather than have our money be our master. And how do we enjoy the blessings without experiencing the dangers inherent with it? And the way we do that is by getting our priorities right, our priorities around money. How do we get them right? We pick up on this verse, honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim, brim over with new wine. 
How do we do it? We honour the Lord by giving him our first fruits, by giving him the first bits back to him, acknowledging that he has given it to us and we give it back to him, acknowledging that he is first in our life, not second, not third or not an afterthought. He is first. And how do we do that? Well, we give very much in supporting the gospel and the spread of the gospel because that is the Great Commission. And what does that look like? Well, in the Old Testament, we know what that was. The Old Testament was it was about tithing. You gave 10% off the top back to the work of the gospel. Now, I'm going to say in the New Testament, nowhere does it give you a percentage at all. It does not give you a percentage. It's not a mathematical equation. What the New Testament talks about is giving out of the joy and the overflow of your heart of what Christ has done for you. So it is not 10%. I want to say really strongly that we are all in different seasons. We are all in different seasons. So you need to give within your means. So please hear that strongly. You need to give within your means. But I do also want to challenge us. I want to say if it was 10% when we were under the law, but now we are under grace, how much better is grace than being under the law? And therefore, wouldn't we give more than 10%? How else do we get our priorities right? Well, we honour others. We honour others. There are so many verses I could have pulled here and I just grabbed two. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Those who give to the poor will lack nothing. But those who close their eyes to them will receive many curses. Money can be used to show love and care for others. And you know what? As we give more to others, we will get back. I imagine many sitting here today can testify to that. As they've generously given to others, they've been blessed with even more riches. So Solomon says, give to the Lord. He says, give to others. In Luke 12, 33, Jesus encouraged his followers, sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourselves that will never wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail. When no thief comes near, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And no one gave more freely, no one gave more fully than Jesus. His profound love for us led him to the cross. Through his sacrificial nature, every one of us sit here today with eternal blessings eternal blessings you know a time will come brothers and sisters when Jesus will return and he will look around at us and he will say here are my treasures here are the treasures that I've won and then when he appears in front of the father he will point to us and he will say here are the children here are the works of my hands and I have not lost one of them what a day that will be I heard John Calvin quoted once as saying, if we truly believe that this is not our forever home, if that's what we truly believe, 
then we will be like people who immigrate to another country and they send their goods ahead of them so they can enjoy them where they're going to be for a longer time. Don't store up treasures on earth. Store them up in heaven where they can never be lost and where we will enjoy them forever. Now, lastly, Proverbs tells us something really important about money. It says that there are better things than money because ultimately money can't save you. Money can't save you. Money makes us more comfortable in this world. Hey, you turn an air conditioner on, you hop in your car and it starts every time. You can make your kids happier or less complaining in the moment by buying them something. You might get a bigger house, a nicer holiday. Do you know what? All of these things are distracting us from, away from one truth and that is that we're all dying and one day we will die. And these good things we buy just distract us from that truth. Jesus says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? And to lose his soul. Remember what we heard read from Luke's gospel. The guy who thought he had it all. And he filled his barns. He went man I better build another barn. And then another one. And then when they get full. I'm going to kick back on my hammock. And I'm just going to cruise. How good will life be then? I'll retire sweet as. You fool. God said to him you fool. You fool. This night your soul will be demanded from you. Is that you? Is that you? Saving money and thinking, you know what, I will give to the church when I hit this much savings. Or, you know what, I'll make this commitment to supporting the missions when I get this paid off. When that happens, then I'll, then I'll give. Or, you know, when I'll cut back on work and I'll learn less when such and such happens and then I can commit to being regular at my growth group and then I can read God's word more and then I can pray more and then I can be more involved in church and evangelism. You fool. You fool. You fool. This night, your soul could be demanded from you. Money seems so real, doesn't it? We could open our wallet, we could pull it out, we could smell it, we could feel it. We could look on our app and go, look, there's my bank balance. It seems so tangible, it seems so concrete. And eternity seems out there and a bit airy-fairy. Nothing could be further from the truth. Solomon said, do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Money is transient. Your bank balance will change. You'll lose it. It'll be taken from you. You'll spend it. I guarantee that. The real things are the things that are unseen in this life. The things from above, eternity. Set your sights on those. Solomon said, wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness, righteousness delivers from death. Therefore, pursue righteousness, not riches. That should be the goal of our life. 
And then Solomon said, whoever pursues righteousness and love finds life, prosperity and honour. And where is this righteousness found? Where is it found? It's found in the person of Jesus. We heard it read before and it's worth reading again. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. To all who believe. There is no difference between any of us. Rich, poor, old, young, Jew, Gentile. Because we're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. But we are justified. Our slate is washed clean by his grace, his love that came by Jesus. The only righteous man, Jesus, dies for unrighteous people so that any who believe in him might be made right in God's sight. Righteousness is far better than money because it always leads to life. Brother or sister, if if this is new to you and you have never heard the gospel explained like this before, please don't leave here today without speaking to someone. The person sitting next to you, the Colin, myself, one of the, the admin committee who hopped up would love to talk with you more about the gospel. It is a free gift. It is a free gift available to you and it will lead to life, everlasting life. I'd love to end now with the only prayer found in the book of Proverbs. And I reckon like all of Proverbs, it's absolutely wise, but it's very simple. And its simplicity conveys a profound truth, a truth about a, a loving, gracious God who not only creates all of the world, but he provides for the people he loves. And he gives them the privilege to be in a, in a position to bring honour to him. So how about we join in prayer and I will pray this for us. Father God, two things I ask of you. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and dishonour your name. Father, may that not be so. Please instill in us a heart of gratitude, Father, for what you have done for us, what your son has done for us. And may that knowledge that we step into a righteousness not made of our own, Father, may that humbly lead us into a place of wanting to honour you and honour others with the many gifts you give us. I pray all of that in Jesus' name. Amen.